SEP Fanfic Readings presents A Thousand Words by Olive Juice 28 Chapter 6 Reflections and Revelations Once he'd returned to Malfoy Manor, Draco had wandered the halls for a while, deep in thought. The day's events had left him filled with a wide and confusing array of emotions, and he wasn't quite sure what to do with it all. The old him would have squashed most of them down and pretended they weren't there, or tried to glaze over their true meaning by making them seem insignificant. Then again, the old him would have never sat down at that kitchen table in the first place, or allowed himself to be fascinated by a muggle appliance. However, his consistent attempts to do things as differently as possible from the way he had previously seemed to have caught hold and overruled his former habits. He still couldn't quite get over the fact that Hermione had forgiven him so easily. Well, perhaps not easily— he could see the pain and heartache swirling in her expressive brown eyes when she'd spoken, but he had also seen hope and determination. He was reluctant to admit that he was glad the war hadn't diminished the fiery spark he knew had always been inside of her. For years he dismissed it as stubbornness, or a refusal to ever be wrong, but he realized a while ago that it went far deeper than that. It wasn't simply her desire to prove her worth to the wizarding world that drove her, although he was sure that that had been part of it at some point. But she was someone who didn't do a job halfway. He had seen it blatantly on display the day she faced his aunt, her refusal to give up. She finished what she started, stood her ground, and stuck by those she was loyal to. Truth be told, Draco had never been good at those kinds of things. He had always looked out for himself, just like the sorting hat had sung all those years ago. Those cunning folk use any means to achieve their ends. Hadn't he done just that? Hadn't he spent the first five years at Hogwarts doing whatever it took to make himself look better than everyone else? And then, in sixth year, when he'd been given the job of killing Dumbledore, didn't he attempt without considering who else he was putting in harm's way? A red-hot poker of shame twisted in his gut. He had taken such pride in being a Slytherin, assuming the other houses were inferior and ridiculous, but he had been wrong. He had seen the devastating proof of that misconception during the battle. He, Crabbe, and Goyle had stayed back to try to thwart whatever Potter was up to, but they were the only three from their house who had remained. Every other snake had slithered out of the castle as soon as McGonagall had ordered Pansy to lead the way. Sure, they had been instructed by a teacher, but so had all the underage students from the other houses, and Draco knew that they had snuck back in. Like Colin Creevy, whose lifeless form he had seen on the floor of the Great Hall hours later. There were countless other Gryffindors, Ravenclaws and Hufflepuffs, who were of age that had stayed to fight, knowing and not caring that they might not live to see how it ended. Bravery. Loyalty. There it was again. Draco hadn't given much credence to those qualities in the past, but he had learned some hard lessons recently. As he had sat at the table in Hermione's kitchen, for the first time since he had met her almost eight years ago, he actually listened to what she had to say. Her honesty made him uncomfortable, and he felt himself being drawn further in, instead of pushing away. If it had been anyone else offering forgiveness, he would have been skeptical, he would have doubted their sincerity. But not her. He knew she meant every word. And then, after she'd said all that she felt was necessary, she turned around and started treating him like it was completely normal for him to be in her house. Like he was a neighbor who would regularly pop by, or even maybe a friend. That thought drew him up short. Friends. With Granger. He gave a low chuckle as he continued meandering down the hall towards the back garden, where he knew he would find his mother. What would she think about that? He knew she had latched on to Harry, but he'd come to her aid when no one else could or would, more likely. Draco could understand her gratitude towards Harry, and even her desire to form a good, positive relationship with him. Hadn't Draco been doing the same thing since Harry started visiting him in Azkaban? 
Granted, he'd been starved for company when the golden boy had first entered his cell, but he quickly realized that Potter wasn't half bad as a human being. He didn't lord his lofty position over anyone, didn't swagger around like the world owed him everything, never did or said anything at the expense of others. In short, he was everything Draco was not, and Draco was determined to change that. While he couldn't bring himself to actually formulate the words admitting that he wanted to be more like Harry Potter, he knew the thought was there, and it gave him a goal to work towards. As he had expected, he found his mother pruning one of her gorgeously blooming rose bushes just outside the doors of the sunroom. She glanced up at him as he approached, a smile on her face. "'Hello, dear. Did you have a nice day?' "'Hello, mother. Yes, it was fine.' She cocked her head in question, encouraging him to share more. Potter and I went to help Granger move some of her things to Grimmauld Place. His mother resumed pruning, but was clearly listening. "'How did that go? You hadn't seen her since your trial, had you?' "'No, I hadn't.' It was a little awkward at first, but after a bit, it was fine. He paused here, not quite sure how to explain their conversation. "'I was very sorry to hear about her parents,' his mother commented. "'I had no idea.' "'Me either, until the trial.' He paused again, and just decided to jump right in. "'She forgave me.' Narcissa stilled her movements and turned to face him fully, her eyes wide. "'She forgave you? Just like that?' Draco nodded, feeling humbled and ashamed all over again. "'Oh, my,' Narcissa breathed. "'That's a lot. She's very—' "'Draco, you were horrible to her. We were horrible to her. She almost died.' Her mother's eyes filled with tears as she continued to gaze at him. Draco nodded again, gave a slight shrug, and looked at the ground. What else was there to say? His mother was right. "'Did she say anything else?' She told me she wanted to start this year on a positive note, he began, clearing his throat. Since we'll both be at Hogwarts for eighth year, she wanted to clear the air. And then she taught me how to make toast. He allowed himself a small grin at the memory of the pile of bread on the table. How to make toast? Narcissa's forehead creased in confusion. Draco chuckled and sat on the bench closest to where his mother was working. He launched into the story of his time in the Muggle House, even telling her about the picture of Hermione's parents. As he spoke, he was so lost in thought he didn't see the way Narcissa was watching him, nor did he notice the twinkle in her eyes. When he was finished, he looked up to see her focused on another rosebush further down the path. "'I'm glad you two had that conversation,' she began thoughtfully. "'I agree with Miss Granger's sentiments. There has been far too much loss, and not another minute should be wasted.' She turned to face her son. "'I think it's rather a good thing that you are returning to school. It will be a chance to start over.' and to make amends with the other students who will be in your new house. She smiled as she walked back towards him. And I think it would be wonderful to have a friend like Miss Granger in your corner. Draco was surprised by his mother's words. He was already thankful that Hermione was going to be there. He knew that there were a total of ten returning eighth years, and with their first interaction positively ended and behind them, he now had only eight other housemates to approach. He knew it wasn't going to be easy, far from it. But perhaps his mother was right. Perhaps having Hermione as a friend was the best thing to have happened to him in a very long time. Grimmauld Place was basically unchanged. Hermione noticed as she settled into what she had taken to referring to as her holiday home, much to Harry's amusement. The bulk of the decor was still dark and foreboding, but the kitchen was as warm and welcoming as she'd remembered, thanks to Creature's continued ministrations. She had been so pleased to see the wizened old elf that she had almost hugged him. Almost. Although Creature was no longer disgusted by her presence, and treated her with the utmost respect, he still wasn't fond of displays of affection of any sort. 
He did, however, loudly and vehemently praise his master on each and every occasion he could manage. Both Hermione and Harry almost choked on their roast beef the first night she was there, when Creature had approached the table saying he had changed his mind about dessert because his chocolate gâteau was not fit for consumption by the vanquisher of the Dark Lord. As the two friends finished their second helpings of treacle tart, which had caused Creature to beam with pride, Harry beckoned her to follow him to the drawing-room on the second floor. The room was still very cold and bleak, except for the glow from the fireplace and sconces that Harry had lit upon entering. He gestured around the space and turned to her. "'I want to do something with this,' he waved at the walls, windows, floors, and furniture in turn. "'I don't like coming in here, but this is the only fireplace connected to the flu, so I'm in here quite a lot. It would also really be nice to have a decent living room, instead of just bringing friends down to the kitchen, yeah?' Hermione took stock of the dingy wallpaper and threadbare furnishings. "'Yeah, I think you're right.' It's not very inviting, is it? She took several steps across the space, taking a closer look at things. Have you tried repairing anything? She picked up a couch cushion that had a few tears in it, showing it to him. No, he snorted. I'm rubbish at that sort of thing. And anyway, I don't just want to patch it. I want it to look nice. Hmm, Hermione looked at him thoughtfully. Planning on having company you need to impress? She cocked an eyebrow at him playfully. His face went red, and she knew she was on to something. "'When's the last time Ginny was over?' Harry ran his hands through his already messy hair and sighed. "'Not for a couple of weeks. I usually go to the burrow, or we meet up in Diagon. I'm not home much, except at night, and Molly didn't really want her coming over here alone in the evenings,' he rolled his eyes. "'You'd think she doesn't trust me.' Hermione laughed. "'You know that's not true. She's just trying to keep things, you know, respectable, between you two. At this, Harry's face turned an even deeper shade of red, and he spluttered nonsense at her. "'You know,' she continued, "'now that I'm here, Molly won't put up such a fuss.' "'True,' he said thoughtfully. "'But then I really do want to make some changes in here. "'Will you help me?' The next several hours found the new flatmates trying various spells and charms on the decor of the drawing-room. The end result had both of them quite pleased with themselves. The dark grey walls were now a light, airy blue-grey, and the heavy brocade curtains were now white linen.' The woodwork and trim was all still a deep mahogany, as was the floor, which was now covered with an ornately patterned rug in shades of blue and grey, instead of the moth-eaten black one that had been there before. The end tables and coffee table were still intricately carved, but Hermione had managed to transfigure the horribly uncomfortable couch and wing-back chairs into pieces that were overstuffed and squashy. All the fabric was a pewter grey, but the pillows and throws were patterns of light blue and white, which gave all of it a look of cheerful comfort. Just as they were finishing moving the couch for the last time, as much debate had occurred as to the best way to arrange it all, Hermione bumped into an end table, causing it to wobble, and the heavy potted plant sitting on it to fall over and crash to the floor. This, of course, sent the portrait of Mrs. Black into screams of rage in the landing around the corner. "'Filth! Disgusting! Imbeciles! Daring to touch my family's heirlooms!' "'Oh, Harry, I'm so sorry,' Hermione cried. "'Ugh!' groaned Harry. "'Hang on!' He hurried from the room as the ranting continued. "'Vile! Unclean! Unworthy!' "'Shut up!' bellowed Harry, and with a bang she was silenced again. Hermione was cleaning up the mess when he came back. "'I'm so sorry,' Harry chuckled. "'No problem. She hasn't had a chance to throw a tantrum in a while. It's usually just me around here, so I steer clear and keep quiet.' He glanced around the room again. "'This looks amazing, Hermione.' She had to agree. It looked leaps and bounds better than it had before. They stood there for a moment, admiring their handiwork. Soon after, since Harry had to be up for oar training early the next morning, they said good night and headed to their rooms. 
Harry was still using Sirius's old room, which Hermione promised to help him transfigure tomorrow evening. She had decided to take Regulus's room across the hall. She knew Ron still claimed the guest room he and Harry had shared throughout the fifth year as his own, but she didn't like the feeling being alone on another floor. As she got ready for bed, she started thinking about what she would do to make this room more livable as well. It both energized and relaxed her to do the sort of spell work she and Harry had used in the drawing room. She enjoyed repairing things, changing them into something better, breathing new life into things that seemed too far gone. All the room needed was someone to see the potential and help it along in a new direction. Seemingly of their own accord, Hermione's thoughts drifted to a tall, pale blonde and she pulled herself short. Where had that come from? She considered Malfoy as she readied for bed. The hours they'd spent together at her house had started out stilted and awkward, but by the time they were finished moving her things, she was as comfortable with him as she was with most of her other classmates. It was amazing what the lack of taunting and animosity had done to the air between them. She knew he was still on his best behavior, being very careful not to let any of his old tendencies surface. She greatly appreciated the effort he was making, and sincerely meant what she had said to him, that she believed he would make good on his promise to Kingsley to do something beneficial with his second chance. She had also seen, despite his efforts to hide it, how deeply her forgiveness had affected him. He hadn't been expecting it, and quite honestly, she hadn't exactly planned to offer it so freely. The words had spilled forth almost of their own volition, but she didn't regret it. She had felt tremendously lighted after the conversation, and had a very strong feeling that Draco had too. It was time to move forward. She climbed into the large, ornate bed that seemed both strange and yet familiar, with her own comforter sheets and pillows. She snuggled down under the covers, starting to create a list of all the things she wanted to do to her holiday home during the next few weeks before school, and drifted off with a smile on her face. Draco had been doing a lot of thinking lately. An idea started churning in his brain the day he had gone to the joke shop with Harry, and after his conversation with Hermione in her living room, he couldn't seem to let go of it. He had woken up this morning with the same thought at the forefront of his mind, and decided to seek out his mother, to see what she might think of it all. "'Good morning, mother,' he said as he strode out to the back garden, where Narcissa was taking her morning tea and reading that morning's edition of the Daily Prophet. "'Well, good morning to you, too,' she said with a smile. "'You're up earlier than usual.' It was true. Since being released, Draco had been sleeping rather late. He assumed his body was trying to catch up from the lack of rest it had endured, not just from his time at Azkaban, where his cot was barely better than the stone floor, but from the previous two years altogether. Looking back, he was pretty sure that the last solid night's sleep he'd had was probably his last night at Hogwarts, at the end of his fifth year, before he'd been given the task of assassinating Dumbledore, before the Dark Lord had taken over the manor, before the war had consumed his every thought, waking or sleeping. He shrugged lightly as he sat down at the small patio table, and immediately found a house-elf at his elbow with a steaming cup of tea and a plate of freshly baked scones and rolls. "'Thank you, Mary,' he beamed to the house-elf, who curtsied and disappeared with a small pop. After taking a few bites, he decided he should get right to the point. "'Mother, I was wondering if you could help me with something.' "'Of course, dear.' Narcissa folded her paper in her lap and turned her full attention to her son. "'What do you need?' "'You know I went to the Weasley's joke shop with Potter, right?' Narcissa nodded, encouraging him to continue. "'Well, I started thinking about my community service, and our family's reparations, and how I could potentially tie that all together and do something meaningful.' Again, Narcissa nodded, a small smile forming on her lips. "'I think,' Draco paused, trying to figure out how to put this idea into words, "'I think I want to paint a portrait.' Narcissa stared at him, her eyes going wide. "'You want to paint?' 
She was mildly confused, as her son had never expressed any interest in any of the arts, and she didn't think he was even capable of drawing more than a stick figure, truth be told. No, no, Draco rushed on. I don't want to do the painting. I want to commission someone to paint a portrait for me. Still bemused, Narcissa tilted her head and asked, Why would a portrait of you help with your community service expectations? I mean, you're very handsome, Draco, but I am not sure presenting a likeness of yourself to someone... But he cut her off again. No, you misunderstand, he said, chuckling. Although a few years ago he might have thought a portrait of himself would be a fantastic joke as a gift to someone. That wasn't at all where he was going with this. I would like to have someone paint a portrait of Fred Weasley. His mother's face paled, and pained expression crossed it. She swallowed and nodded. I see. I want to have it hung up in the joke shop. There's a big space behind the counter, and Weasley... Ron, I mean, said it was supposed to be for some new artwork that Fred was creating. But since he... since the war, George has refused to do anything with it. Draco rushed on, trying to make his mother understand. He just seems so lost. Like, a part of him is gone. And I was thinking... Maybe having a portrait of his twin that he could talk to would help. Would make the shop seem less empty to him. He trailed off, looking down at the patio, feeling oddly emotional. Draco wasn't sure when he'd started to become so aware of his feelings. He was never prone to what he considered softness, mainly only expressing himself through sarcastic comments or angry taunts. The fear that had consumed him over the past two years had dulled everything else. But now that it was gone, it seemed his other emotions had decided to push themselves to the forefront— it was startling and uncomfortable, and made him feel like he had lost a bit of control over himself. He didn't like it. It seemed, however, that his mother understood exactly how he was feeling. She reached across the table and placed her hand on top of his, her eyes glittering with unshed tears. "'I think that's a wonderful idea, son. I think it would mean a great deal to George, as well as to the rest of the family.' She studied her son for a moment, recognizing the struggle to hide his emotions that was taking place. "'Draco,' she said firmly, and he looked reluctantly at her. "'There is no weakness in caring for people.' His eyes slightly narrowed and his jaw clenched. "'Your father is a very proud, very reserved man, and I know he instilled his ideals and ways in you from the beginning. But where did it get him? Where did his cold demeanor, his refusal to ask for help, his arrogance, or his stubborn denial at any error on his part get him in the end?' Narcissa's voice had risen slightly, and her cheeks were flushed as Draco stared at her, never having heard her speak about his father this way. She took a steadying breath, squeezed Draco's hand, and said in a slightly calmer tone, "'I love your father with my whole heart, but that doesn't mean that I understand or agree with everything he has done. I regret so many things, dearest. The world may never look favorably on me after all that's happened, and I can accept that. But you are young.' and you have been given a second chance to prove that what they have known of us in the past is not what will become of the Malfoy name in the future. Take this chance. Grab it with both hands and hold on to it tightly. Let yourself become who you wish to become, not who you think the world, or your father, expects you to become. Allow yourself to care about people, to love them. Her eyes were wet again, and there was a fierce determination on her face as if she was trying to imprint the words on her son's very soul. Draco gripped her hand more tightly and nodded, finding his throat slightly constricted. Clearing it, he asked, "'Will you help me?' To which Narcissa responded with a glowing smile. <laughs>